Look, um, just a response to say, Kira, thank you for your secret Santa gifts for Phil O'Reilly. <laughs> Rolling on in, and can I just pick a winner? A work mug full of favourite chocolates, and write their name <laughs> on the side with a magic marker. Perfect. That, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. I've got at the office. I've got a Joe Biden mug, so we should probably fill that up with some sweets and hand it out to people, so they don't fall asleep. Okay, there you go. Good idea. <laughs> the panel are indeed national. Wallace Chapman here. I am with Phil O'Reilly and Jenny Giblin this afternoon. It's a bit of a wake-up call. The story: New Zealanders have lost a record nine million dollars in internet scams. That in just three months. The government cybersecurity agency CertNZ said the number of scams rose 3% in the three months ended September compared with the previous quarter. But the financial loss was up 128% with us as CertNZ Director Rob Pope. Kia ora, Rob. Yes, good afternoon, Wallace. Well, if anything was a wake-up call this afternoon, it was that figure there. It's a lot of money overall. But tell me, Rob, what is the average that people are getting scammed by? Uh, well, uh, in this last quarter, uh, we've had uh, 12 reports uh, of financial losses of more than $100,000 each. But the majority of that amount uh, actually falls between 100 to about $1,000. And uh, when you look at it like that, that is an awful lot of um, hard-working New Zealanders that have been fleeced uh, through um, uh, just uh, perhaps a little lack of attention or understanding about what they're actually engaging in in terms of online activities. It's, it would be hard to explain, Rob, uh, and I haven't been scammed. I'd love to hear from my audience uh, if indeed uh, you've had the trauma of going through this, but it would be hard to uh, underestimate just the pain it causes you know you buy something online I saw an example actually on Trade Me the other day actually yesterday Rob you know someone in, in, in fair faith bought something but actually it went to a, a bank account didn't get as good uh, down 750 bucks it happens it does, and um, it's it's a bit like um, burglaries or um, uh, nasty things that happen. Uh, you know, no one actually understands that until it impacts them personally, and by then it's often too late. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we're getting um, uh, increasing frequency of, uh, of people who know somebody else who has been uh, affected, or if they haven't been themselves. So I think it is, uh, it, as you say, I've said before, it is a wake-up call, and uh, what it really uh, signals to us is that uh, you need to be much more alert and aware of um, what's actually happening online, um, because we're dealing with very, very sophisticated criminal groups who um, uh, prey on the uh, trust and um, uh, honest nature of New Zealanders, and it only takes a, a, a misstep or a miscalculation and... Um, $100 or $500 may not yeah. seem much uh, from a distance, but uh, it is really affecting New Zealanders, and we're seeing some very, very sad instances from uh, businesses going out of um, um, operation through to New Zealanders who uh, can't even afford um, to uh, put a meal on their uh, table because they've lost uh, um, that amount of money. Hang on. Before we go to our panel, businesses going out of operation? Yes, that's right. So uh, th these are real impacts. The, um, as you uh, will well appreciate, um, we're in very, very uh, tight economic times and um, a, um, a loss of 100, and in some cases we've had reports of millions of dollars being lost. 
uh, are enough to actually uh, tip uh, these businesses over the uh, over the line, and um, unfortunately, they just can't continue. Well, Jenny Giblin, what of this story? And I don't know whether or not you've had the unfortunate uh, thing happen to you, being scammed or not. No, I haven't been scammed, but I actually know a lot of people that have, and yes. I also know um, I also know of one person who has been scammed through his business recently, actually, and it is absolutely um, th- the impact is massive, um, and there's not a lot of um, there's not a lot of recourse. That's that's the problem. So um, it's really really tricky. But I was surprised um, by the number of people and. Um, you know, smart people. So it's not um, what I mean by that is you have to be even people that are really diligent about their their passcodes and and the, and how they use the internet and what information they put on that are you know p- quite particular about that that I know that have been scammed. Actually, that's a good point, Rob, isn't it? That it's uh, you know there's an assumption that people who may not be so tech literate are the ones being scammed, but actually uh, it's across the uh, across the board. Well, most definitely is, and uh, these these um, um, groups, uh, these baddies, uh, rely very much. Their key techniques are fear, uh, urgency, and familiarity. So, as Jenny's referred to, it's uh, often um, uh, the the way that messages are masked or the um, uh, parties that you're engaging with, um, uh, they sufficiently crafted and scripted that uh, you actually believe that you're either um, engaging with people you know or uh, that you've got a relationship with a business, um, e.g. Uh, fake invoices, e-invoices for um, uh, accounts and set for being paid up, uh, which go somewhere else, and the businesses themselves uh, aren't even aware um, that they've been compromised. So um, they are wide-ranging, um, and uh, the impacts are both um, uh, emotional, psychological, and many times physical, as well as the actual financial losses. Phil O'Reilly. Yeah, sure. I was going to say, Rob, I, I agree with you. The um, What we find, the, the stuff that comes through our office and that we see is, you know, there's, there's attempts made. Uh, it's actually really professional. I mean, very, you have to really, you know, it's to the point that only only tech Neanderthals like me fall for this stuff. No, no, the it's actually quite professionally done. And they'll even, uh, we've, we see them even attempting to use uh, uh, my words, my tone of voice in doing it. So clearly, you know, pretty sophisticated stuff. And so one of the little techniques we use, I'm interested in your views on this, is I just say to my people, my staff, if there's any doubt at all about that message, just don't respond to it and delete it. Because if it's so important, they'll come back and they'll, they'll, they'll say, you didn't respond to my message. And you can then, it's easy enough to apologize later on and think, well, we were a bit confused, sorry about that. Rather than engaging with something, unless you're 100% sure it's, it's, a, it's a real message, just delete it and move on. Our, our customers and those we deal with will come back and, uh, and, and uh, remind us if, if we've got that wrong. Yes. And a good point, uh, Phil. The, uh, I mean, our, our high-level comment to people is uh, uh, just a simple thing like uh, pause and think before you act. And it seems like a simple thing to say, uh, but it just gives you that um, 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 uh, moment of pause where you can actually think rationally. Uh, because when you're being pressured to um, um, do something or um, um, it seems urgent that you have to respond, uh, the mind does actually shut down. And, I feel, um, yeah. Sorry, no, sorry, Rob. I, I find the data quite interesting, actually. I'm reading seven people who fell victim to cryptocurrency scams lost a combined 
$455,000 last quarter, so an average of 65k each. And then you've got your romance scam victims as well, losing a combined total of nearly $600,000. Really, really big sums here. But before we go, Rob, um, there are now fresh warnings ahead of Christmas, and I see particularly around Facebook marketplace transactions. Tell us about this. Yes, so uh, what we're actually seeing, um, particularly in the lead up to Christmas, is uh, we're seeing these uh, baddies ramp up um, their approaches and their techniques. Um, so we're seeing a lot more fake um, sites, retail sites uh, coming on board um, and uh, using at the top of those uh, websites, those uh, URLs, and they have just a slight technique, ch- slight changes of um, wording, which actually... Um, isn't the genuine site uh, it's a um, uh, it's a fake site but uh, people can get sucked into that and um, then they're, uh, they're purchasing something that never arrives or it's a substandard um, item so it's um, again pause and think and look and the first thing to do you can hover over those um, sites and uh, you can work out if it's uh, a, the real site or not um, even look up the red, uh, the website itself on a, a um, application called oh, yes. Um, and uh, then even Google the site and look for external reviews. And if it doesn't quite match up to what you're thinking, then um, as Phil's referred to, just um, yeah, um, just go away for a wee while, have a cup of tea, and then uh, come back and say, yep, yeah, mate, that's actually not kosher. Um, and uh, and the other thing, really, uh, the only other couple of steps which we do um, consistently recommend people do is have long, strong, unique passphrases to protect your bank account um, details, uh, uh, two-step verification, uh, just an extra um, security layer. And if, unfortunately, you are hit, uh, please do contact the bank early. Uh, they're often, uh, the earlier we are aware of uh, things, banks can actually uh, recover monies or uh, they're completely remitted and uh, report it uh, if, um, uh, to search so that we can uh, collate all this um, uh, behaviour and uh, protect other New Zealanders through it, um, um, advisories and awareness of just actually what's going on out there. Oh, okay, yeah, so they can they area. can report they can report to CertNZ, and also yeah. using that that that's pretty simple to understand, Rob. Using yeah. two-factor authentication. Yeah. It is, and it's a, it's a big word. All it is is two layers of um, yeah. protection, and um, um, it's an easy thing to apply on on your phone, on your other devices. Uh, second lock on your house, really, um, and um, it makes it very difficult for um, uh, uh, these criminals to access the uh, your accounts. And, well, uh, apparently, money. yeah, kia ora, apparently uh, someone says the latest scam is calling you on your telephone and saying that you have Visa credit card fraud going on. So, yes. hmm, uh, wow. Well, this is right. Um, I mean, uh, uh, without getting into too much detail, these groups are very, they're 24-7 business models. They have um, contact centres uh, and call centres um, based overseas. Uh, very, very uh, well scripted, uh, better than perhaps some of our genuine uh, contact centres. Wow. And their whole focus is exactly on, um, again, what Phil was saying about the, uh, persona development. Um, you know, they know the words, they know the phrasing, they've got access to some details and it may be one of your friends that has been compromised uh, and they've got enough uh, detail to be able to uh, script uh, something that makes it appear that it's uh, he or she that's talking to you or engaging with you by way of email, uh, text or whatever. 
So um, it, um, it's that Kiwi um, Shelby Wright attitude just trying to more mature into a fact that there are people out there wanting to fleece us. Okay. And um, uh, don't don't lose our um, reputation as uh, an open, trusting country, but just be a bit mindful that um, there are people there who want to compromise um, right. our living standards. Kia ora, Rob. That's Rob Pope there, Cert NZ Director. Uh, just being mindful, just that crisp and mindfulness of ahead of Christmas uh, to be very, very, very aware of scams. Uh, fresh warnings here, two-factor authentication. You can report to Cert NZ. Be very mindful and aware, particularly around Facebook marketplace transactions and uh, just uh, indeed do stay safe uh, and just threading in because it's been the sort of the story of the day in a sense um, those wonderful um, it's a great cost of living story Se- secret Santa ideas uh, thank you Phil Wallace uh, socks and underwear as a university student I received these and I literally yelled <laughs> This is the best Christmas gift ever. Um, very, very true, because who buys socks and undies for yourself? I don't. I'm not sure what happens then, Wallace. Frankly. Well, they're a gift. Oh, they they're a gift. Oh, they're always a gift. Uh, round the panel on that, does anyone want to respond to that? No, they don't. No, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a serial buyer of my own socks and undies, I must say. I don't rely on anyone else. It's, my, it's, it's mine, yeah. A third of New Zealand renters are living with mould in the house, according to a survey by news website Stuff. More than 6,500 people from around the country responded to the Stuff Now Next survey. It's worse than our biggest cities, with 39% of Aucklanders and 42% of Wellingtonians saying they struggle with mouldy accommodation. Renters United spokesperson Geordie Rogers joins us. Kia ora, Geordie. Kia ora, thanks for having me. A fair bit, isn't it? A third of New Zealand renters. Does that surprise you? Uh, it, it certainly doesn't surprise me. It very much rings true to the stories that I hear every single day where renters are paying exorbitant prices in rent and they're doing their best to make their home as healthy as possible. But unfortunately, uh, many landlords aren't meeting those uh, very low bar of healthy home standards that are in place. On top of that, renters were trying to do everything they could to get rid of their of mould in the around their home, I, I see here, for example, seventy percent of their aired out their house because that's often a common refrain, isn't it? That if only the renters would open those damn windows. It sure is, and um, that also leads on to another Cantar public um, survey that showed similar results. And there are lots of renters, even in winter, airing their house out for significant periods of time to try and reduce the amount of. Uh, water vapour in the air um, because they don't have things like um, proper ventilation installed, double glazing or good seals on the windows. Should we go around the panel on this? Jenny Giblin. Well, I have. Um, I remember being a single parent with three children when I was at Victoria University, three littlies, and rented a house in Wellington um, that had the most horrific mould, and my daughter was in and out of hospital with pneumonia. Oh, really? So, you know, it is a real thing. Um, so I really sympathise with um, the, the people that are experiencing it. And, look, despite many um, approaches to my landlord, I just didn't get, uh, get anywhere with that. And um, it was just actually really an unsafe place to live. And I opened my windows and <laughs> did all the things that you're supposed to do, but um, you know it's pretty pretty tough. Hang on, you had three you had three children. 
the going to hospital is sick and your landlord didn't well, they weren't they weren't interested, and the thing is, you know, even getting to hospital when you're a poor university student with three kids under five, God, I think I caught the bus there, and the, you know, you had to have the other two kids with me. It was just an absolute nightmare. But we were in and out of Wellington Hospital with pneumonia with my daughter Margot, oh, and gosh. and you know, it was it was simply down to the mould. Stay there, Geordie. Phil. Uh, one of the challenges, of course, this won't just be rental accommodation. This will also be. Uh, you know, home buyer, home people, you know, people who own, own their own home will also have some of these problems because it goes to the poor quality of a lot of New Zealand housing and the fact that we've we haven't really invested in housing stocks sufficiently. Certainly, that that older stock over quite a period of time now. So this won't just be a rental issue; it'll be a a homes issue more generally. But you know, the the problem, Geordie, isn't it that you could come up with all sorts of warrant of fitness schemes and say landlords have got to do a whole bunch of stuff, and, and I think that's actually sensible to do that. Certainly, when it comes to mould, but you've also got to make sure you've got enough rental stock, don't you? That's that's the real challenge because if you're not careful and you make those standards so high, you'll get less rental accommodation actually being offered, and that that it causes a problem on the other side that the, the the cost of rental accommodation just goes sky high. What do you make of that argument, Geordie? Yeah, I think um, it is an argument that we common here and. Um, New Zealand has one of the least regulated rental markets in the world and we still see an undersupply of rental property housing. Um, I think the other thing that's important to know is that someone can purchase that property if someone exits the rental market and of course we do encourage the government to pick up their supply of private rental properties. I think on the argument about the difference between owner-occupied and people who are renting out houses, um, it's, it's important to note that Thus, same uh, survey found 32% of landlords increased their rent because they needed more money, because their cost of living was going up. And that's an important reminder that these people are profiting off of having a home that is not healthy. And so they are making a conscious decision to put more money in their pocket at the cost of hospitalisation, in many cases children and adults with very preventable illnesses. All right, Geordie, so... um Word of advice, uh, afternoon, you heard what uh, Jenny's experience there was, you know, children in and out of the hospital, down to the mould, just mm-hmm. keep on it with your uh, landlord, landlady, keep on it with the property manager if this is an issue? It, it certainly is the, the thing to do. The best thing that you can do is if your landlord isn't being receptive, um, you should head along to aratohu.org.nz uh, which has a perfect 14-day notice letter. When you submit that to your landlord, that gives them 14 days to remedy. If they don't remedy the issue, uh, then you have a whole much easier job of when it comes to going to the tribunal and sort of proving that you've given them the best opportunity to make repairs. All right, Geordie, thanks for being with us this afternoon. Uh, that's Geordie Rogers there, Renters United spokesperson. On the back of that news, a third of New Zealand renters are living with mould in their house, according to... A survey by news website stuff. Um, someone says, for months I have been getting the scam calls about Visa cards. I don't have a Visa card. Very interesting. Thank you very much for your responses. Now, finally, I thought this was just really lovely, but also really interesting. Bread. It's a staple, so it's very handy to know how best to store. The best way to keep your bread going what with the cost of living? One expert on Australia's Channel 9 said what many of us do is totally wrong. If you put your bread in the fridge 
it was stale about six times more quickly. And help me out here. What is the best way to store bread, to keep it fresh? What do you do? I put it in the fridge. Apparently, I'm doing the wrong thing. So let's go to uh, the expert here, Pat Sittlecock from the Department of Food Science at the University of Otago. He's a research associate professor. Kia ora, Pat. Uh, Kia ora. Okay, so apparently, keeping it in the fridge, it'll go stale six times faster. It's probably best to ask, where do you keep it? Your bread? Um, not in the fridge. Uh, okay. I live in Dunedin. Right. <laughs> okay. So, oh, fair enough. I, 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 um, he, he's correct that it goes stale faster. However, it depends what, what happens first. Um, st- staleness is a quality aspect. So, if it it decreases in quality when it goes stale, but it's still edible. Um, if you store it in a warm temperature, it can go mouldy. So if you don't eat your bread fast enough, um, it, it, it will stale, but if it's warm, it may go mouldy first. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you can't eat mouldy bread, but you're suggesting that you can eat a little bit of stale bread. And there's also... Oh, stale bread is... Yeah. Keep going. Sorry. Um, stale bread's entirely safe. Um, so, and that's why it's probably... It's why people toast bread. You That that heating process uh, freshens the bread up um, oh. so that... It, uh, not it doesn't um, have that dry um, stale texture I have never thought about that I have never yeah. thought about that Jenny the why, the, perhaps why we toast our bread is because bread a few days old isn't actually that nice it's a little bit on the dry side maybe verging on stale toast no problem Jenny yeah, I didn't know yeah. that either. Um, I've got a large family um, of seven, so we, we never seem to have uh, stale bread at all because it doesn't last long yeah. in our house. So it's not an issue for me. But um, uh, our, our biggest issue is we, we actually, when we you live in the country, you tend to buy bread in uh, bulk, and so you're just pulling it out of the freezer. I don't know, is that a bad thing or not? Um, that's, the best, that's the best approach is to, if you have multiple loaves, put them in the freezer... Um, the freezer is much better than the fridge because that right. essentially um, stops the staling process or slows it down very, very, uh, you know, so it's negligible. Um, and then take it out when you need it and eat it quickly. So that's Wait. much. Jumping in yeah. here, um, sprinkling water on the bread, then microwaving it. Yes. Well, that's the same. If you think about it, it's the same process I just talked about for toasting. So you're applying a little bit of heat, and that just reverses the the staling process. Sure. Um, yeah, we we uh, we uh, eat bread fresh, uh, like on a on a Saturday morning, and we'll toast it for the next few days after that and actually um, we also use it for things like stuffing and, and roast chooks that sort of stuff so stale bread's also got its other uses other than just eating it as toast oh no we're out of time Pat Silker I'm so sorry can I invite you back another time that was so interesting uh, but for now Phil O'Reilly and Jenny Giblin Phil says 
I, too, am in full command of underwear. Checkpoint next.